Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Steve Carter has part five of the iHeart series with a message titled, The Power of Love. Um, hey, we are in the final installment of the iHeart series, and we've been looking at this conversation around love. We're looking at these different Greek words, and man, I just, I just have really, really enjoyed this series. But today, I, I want us to sh- talk about um, my favorite of the four Greek words for love, and it's the word agape. Now, you've got to understand that when you go through the scriptures, if you go through the New Testament primarily, you will discover that there are only two primary emotions. Primary emotions. And, and when we think about these primary emotions, we think of them as kind of this, this idea of love and fear. Love and fear. But when I think about this primary emotion of love and fear, you, you got to understand that like anxiety, you got to think about like worry, you got to think about shame, all, kind, all like falls under this idea of fear. But then you think about peace and freedom and grace, being secure in who you are comfortable in your own skin. It's all grounded in love. And every day we are filled with these opportunities to choose either love or fear. And for many of us, what we see in our world, a world that's divided, which is driven by fear, or a a world that is united, driven by love. Two primary emotions that every human being has to learn how to walk. Now, I love the medley. Do you guys all love the medley? That's great. That's great. I got a little, little, little bitterness in me right now. So that's, that's part of fear. Because Gabe left one, out one song. It's the greatest of the love songs. What song? I'll tell you what song. It's from the 80s. I'm going to let you try and guess it because you all know. It's from the 80s. Anyone got a guess? Okay. okay. All right. Real, 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 real nervous. I feel like you're taking a Scantron test right now. All right. I'll, I'll give you another hint. Michael J. Fox. I'll give you another hint. Back to the future. I'll give you another hint. Huey Lewis in the news. Look at this guy. We're talking about the power of love. Come on. That's a song. I mean, I wanted to see Gabe sing that. I mean, you think about the lyrics of that song. Uh, you, you talk about how this, this amazing, amazing song for me. 1985. You know, in like just a few years, Back to the Future will be 40 years old. Yeah, we're all old, friends. We are old. But I love this concept of like, This idea of the power of love. And I think the truth is, for many of us, we don't know actually how to walk in the power of love. We know how to live in a state of fear, though. This is what we have been able to experience in the everyday. What we see propagated on the news. What we see in social media. What we see kind of filling our minds and our hearts is often stay in a state of fear rather than walk in the power of love. I mean, I love when Aria and, and Lauren were talking about Juneteenth because I didn't grow up learning about this. I didn't have this in my school. I didn't have this in my history books. And probably about 10 years ago, I got really, really curious, like, wait, 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 what, what's this idea? I kept hearing about this word, and they started having these kind of gatherings in Los Angeles, and I remember going to one of them for the very first time, and I, I was like, oh my goodness, I have so much to learn. When we moved to Phoenix, one of the first things that we did was we ended up going to a, a, a celebration for Native Americans. Totally something I did not ever learn 
growing up. But by entering in and going and learning, not living with a state of fear, but walking in the power of love, you get to actually visit another person's position and experience. You get to, to listen and, and gain insight, valuable insight. So I hope you'll go next Saturday. And, and I messed this up multiple times last service because I can't say the name of the park. Sinisippi? I did it right. I did it right. Practice it. It's like sin plus Mississippi. Sinisippi. Sinisippi. But seriously, check this out. But again, every day you got to make this choice. Are you going to fill your mind and walk in a state of fear, which is going to lead to shame, anxiety, hatred, division, or are you going to walk in the power of love? Now, when the Bible talks about this power of love, God's love, it uses this word which is so, so stunning. It's the word agape. And agape literally means this. Scholars will define it as this. Agape is this sacrificial love with no conditions or strings attached that desires only the best for another. Have you ever had a relationship like that? Because we live in a world right now that is driven with a state of fear. And when a state of fear is, it usually has conditions. It usually has strings attached. We often live in a world in relationships where if you do this, then I'll do this. If you scratch my back, then I'll scratch your back. But this is what's so powerful. It's like I preach under the cross. And the cross is the greatest picture of sacrificial love. It is the greatest picture of God saying, no conditions, no strings attached. All I want is for you to walk in love and in peace and in freedom and in grace. I am willing to sacrifice myself so that you can walk in the power of love and not in a state of fear. But why is it? Why is it that so many of us somehow can't seem to embody this message. Or better said, why is it that I can't embody the actual cross for another in my life? And this is what I want us to wrestle with today. Because I so desperately desire to see a church that walks in the power of love rather than a state of fear. And you got to understand that in the scriptures, there's real clear calls for us who call ourselves disciples or Talmudim of Jesus. This is this in 1 John 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's two realities in this. That God is synonymous with love. God is synonymous with sacrificial love, no strings attached, no conditions, all he longs for is the best for you. And the same word, love, and love from the first line, same word, agape. But what's beautiful about the Greek language, and that's what the New Testament was translated in, is in Greek, is it's really like science. Hebrew, which the Hebrew or Old Testament is known as, that's like more like art. They don't have vowels. You can like kind of read into the riddles and the pictures and the ideas. It's beautiful to translate. Greek is like science. So that first love, agapos, has this present active, which literally means it's a continuous action that never ceases. So whoever does not keep loving, whoever just someday, some days just chooses to opt out of loving, does not know God does not receive from God his 
free love. I mean, this, this, is, this is intense because every day, 35,000 choices that we make have to be. And let's just be honest, they're not always. But that's the goal. It has to be grounded and rooted in God's sacrificial, no strings attached, no conditions, only wanting the best for another kind of love rather than a state of fear. Or maybe let's take it even farther. Paul writes in the great wedding passage that we've all experienced too many times at a wedding when it says this. This is what agape love is. It's patient. And love is kind. And you know what kindness is? Kindness is when you can actually stop your mind from assuming what that person should do or be Next, but you actually can slow your brain down and enter in with where they're actually at. That's what love is. Love's patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. I love this idea. It does not envy. Because envy to the ancient Near East was one of the most dangerous, unexpected sins. Envy and greed. They were the scariest sins because you don't, can't really see it, but they're a form of fear. And envy, envy was the sense that they had this belief that there was only so much good to go around. It's based on scarcity, or what they would call the theory of limited good. And what they believed was that only so many people could have good. And so what people would do is they would be envious of someone else's blessing. And they would do, they would walk up to them and they'd give them the evil eye. Which is if you've ever been around a two-year-old and they just look at you, give you that stink eye, that's it. And if you go through the Middle East, you'll see people wearing bracelets and necklaces that like have an eye on it, and it's like an amulette, they call it, and it's protecting from the evil eye. And the belief was, is that if people looked at someone who had been favored and blessed, and they could just almost take all their toxic negativity and put it on that person, then that person would crumble and fall. And by crumbling and falling, it would release the goodness up into the atmosphere, and maybe I could get it. This is why a prophet was rejected in their own, their own hometown, because people were jealous or envious of their gifting. And I think too many Christians believe in this theory of limited good. You know, you've been to Stockholm, and you've gotten some breakfast, and they give you that, that little cup of orange juice for like three ninety five. dollars Remember when you would go there as a kid, and they give you that orange juice, and the first time you just drank it down? And the, the waitress is smart. She knows what she's doing, because it's like easy money for you. And she, she ends up giving it to you. You drink it, and then you're like, hey, can I get a refill? And they're like, there's no free refills. And then you ask your parents, they're like, I'm not paying four bucks for another glass of orange juice that's that's that big. So the next time you show up to Stockholm, you remember, and you are just like barely drinking it. This is how many of us understand God's love. We're like barely sipping it, thinking it's going to literally run out and bitter at somebody else who's experiencing favor and freedom and grace. And the truth is, when it comes to God's love and God's grace and God's freedom and God's peace, there's free refills, friends, for everyone. See, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Like, I don't, I don't need to boast because if I'm finding my love grounded at the foot of the cross, like, I don't need to find it anywhere else. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Why do we dishonor others? Because I need to feel better. Why do I need to make someone feel small so that I can feel stronger? And truth be told, you got to understand this. 
you will live with integrity depending on where you truly find your identity. If you find your identity in God's love, then you don't need to dishonor somebody. You don't need to boast. You don't need to reach. You will live in, with integrity because of where you find your identity. But if you find your identity in what she thinks about you, what they think about you, then you will live with integrity looking for affirmation and validation from those people. And anybody who might be competition to you, you will try and dishonor, you will try and boast, you will try and be proud so that you can always stay above the competition so that those people can see you. But that's not love. And it doesn't lead to more peace and freedom. It leads to more of a state of fear. Continues on. It is not easily angered. Not says Twitter. It keeps no records of wrongs. It's just really hard for me. I can keep records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. And you all know what evil is. Evil's just good that's been co-opted. We can take something good like money or power or sex and we can just co-opt it for our own advantage. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. And hear this. This is what love does. You want to know what love does? This whole passage is what love is, what love is not, and what love does. Love does. It always protects. It always protects the innocence. It always protects the vulnerable. It always protects those that are being oppressed. This is what sacrificial love does. This is what God did for us and what he invites us to do for another. Love always trusts. That's hard. But sacrificial love actually trusts. You might have messed up, but I'm going to restart and I'm going to believe you. You got it. You got it this time. It always hopes. It hopes that you actually can begin to discover what truth and God's love is all about and love always perseveres. I mean, this, this, just look at this list. I asked the nine. I said, hey, how many of you just are struggling with like living this paragraph out. And I was the only one that raised my hand. And I was like, that nine is a holy group of people. And I had to rephrase the question and then every hand went up. But a question is, how many of you can look at this list and go, man, I, I, I'm impatient. I'm not always kind. I got a lot of envy. I'm struggling with protecting or trusting or persevering or hoping. How many of you would go, man, I, I need this in my life? Yeah. The rest of you are liars. We'll talk about that next week. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, here's the thing. Here's, here's why this is so important, though. Because I, I think for many of us, we're so, we so desperately want to see this. But what I've come to realize is, man, for so long, I tried to teach at love. But I, then as I started to, to pastorally meet with people, and I started to, to go to a spiritual director and sit with a counselor. I'll never forget this moment. I kept wrestling with what, what is it that is so hard for us to understand this idea and concept of agape? And, and what I realized is, oh, people get it. People get the idea of sacrificial love. People get the idea of unconditional love or no strings attached. People get that idea. The problem that we all wrestle with or for the most of us that wrestle with, or that I truly wrestle with, is learning to receive God's love. I mean, I, I can tell you facts about God's love. But then every day, 
having moments where instead of choosing to live from a state of fear that brought about anxiety and shame and pain and being triggered and acting out of that, I could actually walk in the power of love. And just like what I came to discover is, is vision, vision leaks. Every great leader knows that. Vision can leak. And just because I've received God's love once, somehow I go through my day and you remove food and you remove eight hours of sleep and I'm like removing God's love. It feels like flowing through me. And all of a sudden, the state of fear takes over. So, so what, I want, what I want you to discover is how we can do this. But I want you to see what Jesus has to say about this. And Jesus gives the greatest sermon, in my opinion, ever. It's from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And within that sermon, and I often will read it multiple times throughout a year, it's just filled with incredible, applicable teaching for today. But Jesus has a word in there that I have just missed. And it's the word reward. And he says it again and again and again. But he also has this, this framework. And I want you to see this framework. It's going to come up on the screen. In these three chapters, I will talk about the power. And the power that, as the world, is going to try and show you where you can literally get some sense of authority. Almost like the loudest voice in your life. And that authority is going to lead you to a pattern of actions, which are values that kind of direct and motivate your life. And when you have that authority and those values, that power and pattern, it is going to lead to a product that produces some sense of fruit in your life. And it's about perspective. And so Jesus begins to write about this and go after what motivates you, what motivates you as a disciple and what motivates even religious leaders and what motivates the world. He says this in Matthew 5, or Matthew 6. Be careful, verse 1, not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. So it's not, he's not going after like actually practicing righteousness. What he's going after to these religious leaders and to these people is, hey, don't try and be motivated by finding your affirmation or validation in another. Don't try to seem holier than you actually are. And then look what he says. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So if this is what you are trying to do, you're, God sees the heart. God sees the motivation. He's going to see it. But then Jesus flips it brilliantly like a great rabbi. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So what's Jesus saying? For those who want to be seen as like holy, for those who want to be seen as righteousness, as righteous, and they go out and they serve, and they're serving so that these nine people can see them, they're not going to be rewarded by God, but they are living with integrity to where they find their identity, which is the validation and the applause of man. And when those people start to applause their actions... Jesus goes, well, they got what they wanted. They got the reward in full. Let, let's talk about this when it comes to Instagram. Have you ever had a bad day? And all of a sudden you're feeling a little bit lower. And instead of walking in the power of love, you're starting to kind of walk in a state of fear. You don't feel great about yourself. And so what do you choose to do? You're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put this one picture up. But I know, I know people are going to like it. 
And so you just kind of put it up and, you know, you take all the wrinkles out of your face, put a good filter on it. You seem a little sad. You write a little bit of like, kind of like I'm sad and you put it out there. And all of a sudden it's like, ding, ding, like, like, like. And at the end of the day, you're like 77 likes. And Jesus is like, what really was driving you to do that? Was it my father's love? Or was it the applause of man? And you got 77 likes. Was it worth it? You received your reward in full with 77 likes. Well done. And Jesus then takes this concept of reward and he begins to flip it. Because if you literally find your identity in God's love, then you actually will experience the pain and the struggle and the reality of this world. And Jesus writes in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, towards the end, he goes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not people who are pretending to be righteous for the holy, but those who are literally righteous and are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, what Jesus is saying is, if you actually find your life and identity in God's love, you're living your life for an audience of one rather than the applause of man. And then all of a sudden, someone wants to persecute you, you're like, it's okay because you aren't literally shaping and forming my identity because that real estate is literally only for God in Christ. See, here's the thing, is you play it out within the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll see that the world is going to teach you by osmosis. You are what people say about you. So live your life for the applause of man. But it's driven by a state of fear. And so you're constantly chasing comfort and success and power and recognition. This is what the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going after. And literally, Jesus is like, you know what you're going to produce? You're going to produce a reward in just the here and now. And the reward is what everybody else thinks about you. But the way of the disciple, the Talmudim, is this audience of one. It's grounded in love. And when you really think about this, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, and you'll experience moments of weakness. But so did he. And you'll experience moments of humility. But so did he. And you'll experience moments of sorrow. So did he. And you'll experience moments of rejection. So did he. And you literally will experience the fullness of Christ in the here. And yet you will also great as your reward in heaven. You have this eternal perspective. And it's not just in the sad stuff. But you will also experience all the pleasure and goodness and beauty. Now and forever. I say all this because I think for many of us we go. I want God's love. But then we come up against rejection. And we're like, I must not be loved. No, 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 no. You're actually often walking right hand in step with the way of Jesus. See, what's amazing for many of us is we just struggle. We struggle. When I've become to realize, my, my counselor and spiritual director tells me this. So when your life, Steve, is grounded in God's love, you're not going to reach. You're not going to exaggerate. You're not going to fawn for someone's favor. You're going to be able to stay grounded and present. And when people say things about you, you've got to understand the true self grounded in God's love is unoffendable. 
I don't know if you understand what I just said right there, because I don't even know if I believe it. But this is what my counselor keeps telling me. He goes, Steve, when your life is grounded in God's love, let people say whatever they want to say. You're unoffendable. Because who has the precious mind real estate and heart real estate to shape and form you? Not some dude on Twitter. Not some random neighbor on the next door app where crazy town lives. Like I'm, I'm talking about the one person is God. And how? The truth is though, how then do we walk in the power of love rather than living in a state of fear? And I believe that there's four ways. Four ways that we can actually do this. And what I've been trying for the last few years to apply to my life. And I want you to see this. I want you to really ask yourself honestly, am I doing this? Because vision will leak. God's love will leak. And fear will creep right in. And so the first way to walk in the power of love is you got to play it back. And you got to reflect. Now, some of you know this. Uh, I played basketball at Cal State Fullerton. Go Titans. Play is not the right word. I sat at the bench, but I got free shoes. And, and what's amazing is after a game, we hear guys all the time say, man, I deed that guy up. And I was sitting on the bench, and I was like, no, you didn't. That dude torched you. You said you shot well. You were like Paul George from the three-point line, man. Come on. Come on. And what we do is then after the game, we literally go and we'd watch the film. And here's the great thing about film. It does not lie. Someone can say they deed up, but then we're watching the tape and we're like, no, you didn't. And I think too often we're going through our weeks and our schedules have no margin. And so we're going, we're going, we're going. And literally the state of fear is just creeping, creeping, controlling, controlling. And we're making decisions grounded out of fear. So I have moments throughout the week where I just play it back. I was in a meeting this week on Tuesday, and I I walked in driven by a state of fear. I didn't know it in the meeting. And that night, I just sat down, and I was like playing it back on my day and reflecting. And I just was like, I said some stuff that I shouldn't have said. And it wasn't from a place of the power of love. It was a place from a state of fear. And as I reflected on it, I was like, I gotta call someone. And and I just say that because I don't think we ever reflect and play it back. And I don't mean it from a place of shame. I literally come from a posture of curiosity because shame ain't gonna change the past, but curiosity can And so I play it back. But the second way to walk in the power of love is you don't just play it back. You actually got to play it out. And this is where I look ahead. We all start today. When we leave this room, we got 168 hours until we gather back next weekend. Because you all are coming next weekend. 168 hours. And in the next 168 hours, I guarantee you, some of you have some crucial conversations that are going to happen in the marketplace, within your family. You know that there's some people you need to call. And somehow, we often let life happen to us. We just, like, go through our day. I I find myself waking up early, and I look at what's on my schedule. And the healthier I get, the more that I sit and I start to reflect, and I go, man, I don't want God's love to leak. And I start to think, I know I'm walking into this conversation and sometimes I can get triggered and then the state of fear kicks in and I forget to walk in the power of love. 
And so I play it out and I imagine myself in the meeting and Jesus is beside me and I'm filled with the spirit. And I go, hey, I know that there's been past meetings where I have just kind of let fear kick in. Let's rewrite the chapter, Jesus. How should we engage in this conversation? And I know this probably you're like, dude, you do this? This seems so lame. I'll tell you what, you know what's really lame? Having to pick up the call week after week and be like, I'm so sorry, I lived in fear again. I'd rather actually envision and visualize a better way forward and not letting, not be controlled by love, but be controlled by God's fear, by fear. I want to be controlled by love. So play it back, play it out. Third, and this one's probably the, the, the most important, play it smart. And what do I mean by that? As many of us, we're just going, going, going. And if God's love does leak, like vision leaks, we need times and moments where we can just refuel, be reminded of the power of the cross, be reminded of God's love. And for some of you, that's, that's going outdoors. That's like healthy escapes where you're just walking in humidity outside. It's crazy out there right now. Phoenix, it's a dry heat. All the sweat just evaporates off you. Here, it's like, feel like you're like wrestling and trying to make weight. Just sweat, you sweat it all out. But like, you gotta figure out what does it look like refueling for you? For some of us, we have not picked up this book and just sat in it. I was with someone this week, we were getting coffee, and he just said, man, a group of us have just been getting together once a week. We're opening up God's word. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, we're just getting into it. I was like, tell me more. He's like, yeah, we're just, we're just going. We're just, we're just jumping into this. And like, God's at work. And I'm like, dude, that's so inspiring. What is that? They're playing it smart. They're refueling their mind and their heart so that the state of fear doesn't take over, but that they can walk in the power of love. Do you have that? You can't just play it back. You just can't play it out, but you got to play it smart. And lastly, the fourth way to walk in the power of love is you got to play it honest. And you have to respect what's happening in your heart. Too many guys, I'll see them like, how you doing, man? Good. What's going on? Not much. How's your heart? Fine. You all right? Okay. I'm like, we've struggled as a culture to be emotionally honest. And I think if we can't be emotionally honest... And it's going to be hard for us to walk in step in the power of love. And us being honest means that we can literally say, I'm not doing well. I'm having, I'm having a hard time. Things just have gotten way cloudier and darker. Or you know what? Like I, I, I felt triggered in this meeting. I just feel sad. The more that we can't name that, the more that we can't actually trust God's love to, to walk with us in that. Or if we can't name it, the, the more that we can't actually invite our small group in to pray and walk with us. What I dream of is a church that is emotionally honest, that can actually name the places where God's love is leaking and they need help to literally like receive it and be reminded of it. Just real talk. If you look at these four, is there one that you go, man, I just need to apply to my life this week. Maybe for some of you, just you need to go this afternoon and just play it back. 
Or maybe, maybe for some of you, you're like, nah, I, I know I got some crucial conversations coming up, and I just need to spend some time thinking, what's my approach going to be? We spend enough time thinking about what we're going to wear, but we don't actually think about, actually, how am I going to be in that meeting? That's why I only wear black. It's easier. But maybe for some of you, you just play smart. Like, how are you going to refuel? How are you going to fill your mind, your heart with God's love? Or maybe for some of you, you're like, I know what's going on in here. I need to call a friend. I need to make some space and time with God just to journal and write about that. What I love about this is God was so kind to us because that cross was a picture that he understands. And what I love is that he was also, Jesus, when he walked, he he gave us tangible reminders to remember how God truly loves each and every one of us. We're going to take a moment to receive communion. And hopefully as you walked in, you received one of these packets. And, and what I want to do is I want to, I want to invite you, if you did not receive one of these packets, you can raise your hand. And one of, one of our ushers would love to make sure there's a couple of people over here. One couple of people over here. Just keep your hands up. There's some ushers that will be walking in. But there's a song um, that the birthday boy, Carrington Gaines, turned 30 today. Yeah. You gotta receive that love. You gotta receive that love. But here's the thing. Um, he wrote this song, and I just, I love music. It's, it's one of the ways that I feel like I can refuel. And I, 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 we, we did something on Good Friday with this song. But like, I keep going back to that Good Friday service and listening to this song. And this is like the song I want to end every one of my teachings with. And so as we were talking in this meeting, I just said, hey, can, I, can, can we get Imagine? And it's not ever even been recorded. It needs to be. But I think this song is going to bless you. This song has blessed me. I think this song is going to bless the kingdom. It is a powerful song. And here's why it's so powerful. Because it talks about how God was willing to be disgraced on the cross so that we would be dignified. This song talks about what God was willing to do for us to shape our identity so that we could live with integrity and walk in the power of love. And it's literally this song that's so powerful because it forces us to imagine. Imagine and remember what God did for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're all grown-ups. We all got agency in this, in this house. Oftentimes when we do communion, someone will like lead you and we're like, all right, now you at this moment right now, put the communion piece into your mouth. What I want you to have is the agency that when you hear the lyrics of this song, maybe there's a moment where God just goes, this is what I need you to hear. You're going to take the the piece of bread. Now, just just beware. These things are tricky. You got to get the top one first. You don't want to try and open the drink one. Because then it gets hard with one hand. It's just tricky. So make sure you open that properly. But, but what I want you to think about is that this, this bread represents Christ's body that was broken for you on that cross. The cup represents Christ's blood that was shed for you on that cross. And it represents that you no longer live for an old covenant, the old way, the law, or the past, or the brokenness. But you are now founded in a new order that you can literally walk in the power of God's agape love. And when we hold on to this bread and we hold on to this cup, it's like us tangibly saying, God, I want my identity to be in that. I'm tired of walking in a state of fear. Help me 
Fill me, let me be in Christ so that I can walk in a power of love. And this song is going to encourage you to imagine that. So I'm going to pray. And then at your time, when you feel ready as Carrington leads us, you can take and receive the gift of communion. God, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your kindness and your forgiveness. Thanks that you are just so passionately in love with, for, uh, you're passionately in love with us so much so that you sent your son for us. And God, I pray as these lyrics, these profound lyrics are sung over us, I pray that they would just wash our heart and our minds so that we can see how you see us and we can be how you dream we can be. Help us to walk, not in a state of fear, but a power of love. You've been listening to Forest City Church teaching pastor Steve Carter with a message, The Power of Love. You can watch the online version of this message by going to youtube.com slash Church. Thanks for listening.